Now, one of the things that is prevalent in all of your books and um, certainly in Brief Catch, which I've used, is the use of plain and simple language. During my research for this podcast, I had the pleasure of listening to you um, discuss Kanye West's contract and the fact that that wasn't plain and simple. So let's look at Kanye's, um, the issue of Kanye's contract. What was problematic about it? Imagine me being 16 years old doing auditions uh, in music and someone said, one day you'll be talking about Kanye West's contracts and analyzing the language. You know, zero percent chance. I have to admit, I love this Kanye West story and there is a lot of, uh, you know, Americanism, Americana in it. Uh, again, the idea that even contracts would become glamorous and used as a weapon on Twitter. Very American. So long story short, Kanye West um, had a number of fairly prestigious, well-known law firms working for him over the years. And he was very frustrated, at, you know, in two ways. So he was frustrated about the terms, but more in line with what we're discussing, he now somewhat famously said on Twitter a little bit, you know, maybe he was copying from what you just said. Maybe he knew what you were going to say about plain language. He said, you know, why can't people understand these contracts? You know, you're paying all this money to these lawyers. And then the other thing he pointed out in uh, another tweet was lawyers aren't even good at explaining the contracts. So even if you concede that you should not be able to understand them at all, and by the way, I'm not sure you should have to concede that, they're not able to explain them. So the reason I seized on this is if you actually pull some of the provisions, which is what I did in that on that show you're talking about, what I've tried to do to kind of make peace between the plain language brigade and uh, what we might call like traditionalists is explain that there is, you can't just say legalese plain language, you know, evil, good, good, evil. There's plain language that does help with precision, concision, lightening the load on the users without any sacrifice of substance. And then there's plain language that goes too far and you're taking terms of art or words or phrases that have a fairly set meaning in the common law or in statutes in one jurisdiction or the other and you're you're replacing them with completely unfamiliar terms that do more harm than good and that's sort of been sort of the missing link in this supposed battle right where both sides are frustrated the lawyers who are more traditional again are not wrong when they say that some of this is dumbed down or worse, right? But the plain language people, of course, have really great points when they say that that is also used as a little bit of a cop-out. So trying to find the middle ground. Absolutely. Just in my practice and for anyone that doesn't know, I'm a family practitioner and often have to draft agreements between local authorities and parents. And these may be parents who haven't had much of an education, may have literacy problems, so they need to be able to understand it. And it's not as easy as you think it. <laughs> you really have to train yourself, don't you? Not to use those big words, not to use all these filler words and make it more complicated. And also to think of how you express a word so that you don't oversimplify and lose the legal meaning, but so that someone else can understand it. I don't know if you've heard about this. I find it fascinating. It's out of South Africa. It's a project to use graphics and make them binding. They actually got a legal opinion making them binding. And it's in the kind of situation that you're referring to, you know, family law, landlord tenant in a residential setting, simple wills in estates. So from what I understand about this project, of course, many lawyers in South Africa and elsewhere said this is a terrible idea. You cannot possibly take 
all the complexities of the law and reduce them to pictures, but apparently it's working, which shows that, you know, maybe we need to be a little bit more adventurous or a little bit more creative before we assume that we can't really change. Because I really do believe when you have consumers or probably even more so domestic divorce, custody and the like, it's sort of almost a moral responsibility of the profession to make sure that the clients can understand most of the points, you know, and I think that most people in those, I'm sure, very stressful situations certainly understand intuitively that there are going to be a few words or phrases they don't know, and maybe they would ask you, but we can do better. I mean, in general, it's better in England, by the way, contracts are better in England. They're clearer, they're simpler, but we can still all do, I'll do better. Are there certain types of words that we should avoid using? And I say that because when I'm cross-examining, I tend to avoid adverbs and adjectives because they become arguing points with the witness and I'm not interested in that. I just want to get the answer. And I focus on nouns and verbs instead. I don't think that necessarily translates to writing because there is a place for those kind of words there. But is there anything that we should be avoiding in order to make it simple? I think you might be underselling your own point though. I think you're, you're actually right when it comes to written advocacy as well. I try to never be rigid. I mean, I would never say something like cut all adverbs from your submission, from your filing. But what, what you're describing that you're doing in cross-examination for what I gather is an important purpose, right? When you add a modifier, the person being cross-examined now has a way of denying the sentence because you've added a subjective element to the question. So there's something about that. It's really important that does, in my experience, carry over to written work product. When you don't let yourself rely on adverbs, right? Like tentatively contended, vociferously contended, you try to find a verb that actually expresses precisely what you're really, really going for. It's harder than adding the adverb, right? To say that the stock price, the share price fell. Well, it fell dramatically, right? Well, what did it really do? What does that mean to fall dramatically? Does it mean plunge? Does it mean plummet? Does it mean dip? You're now being more precise yourself and also giving the reader a mental picture that if done well, can really convey what you want the reader to see. I mean, you can almost do an experiment. If you close your eyes and imagine, I said fell, so I'll give you the opposite. The price of the stock increased dramatically or precipitously yesterday. You don't really see anything, but if I say it skyrocketed, you do. Thank you for listening to the Advocacy Podcast, Journeys to Excellence. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and visit us at theadvocacypodcast.com for reading lists and other resources. Until next time.